morning, everybody. Hey, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1. I'll go ahead and read a passage and make some introductory remarks, and we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we'll, we'll jump in, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In case uh, you, you don't know or haven't heard, we're actually uh, embarking on a sermon series throughout the entire book of Acts. For some of you, that'll come as, as good news, um, and for some of you, it's going to be a, it's a little hard, uh, but uh, I'll go and address that in a moment, okay? Acts chapter 1, here we go. In my, I, I'm not going to read the whole book, I'm just going to read it, let's see, uh, verse, up to verse 11, okay? Here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. We are uh, going to cover uh, uh, this entire book. I'm thinking maybe in a year, but you guys know me. It'll probably take maybe two years. That means that some of you guys might not even be around when we finish, okay? Um, What I want to do this morning is to lay some groundwork, some introductory remarks uh, about this book, and then get into maybe two to three verses, okay, of the first chapter, and then we'll see, uh, we'll see where we're at at that time, and then come back. Uh, here's some introductory remarks about the book of Acts. Who wrote the book? Anybody know? A guy named Luke. Does anybody know what his profession was, what he was by trade? He was a doctor. All the med students and physicians in our church. He was a doctor. Yes, he was. He was a doctor. He was a physician, okay? Who did he write this for? He mentions in the verse 1, he wrote it for a guy named Theophilus, right? Theophilus. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about him next week, who was a Roman official and was probably a convert to Christianity, okay? Theophilus was who he wrote the book for. Uh, When did he write the book, Luke? Most scholars believe that he wrote the book no later than about 60 A.D., 60 A.D., and the reason is in 64 A.D., there was a massive persecution that broke out against Christians under uh, the rule of a guy named Nero, who was not a very nice man. And under him, a number of people were killed and executed, including some scholars believe both Peter and Paul. So the fact that Luke doesn't mention anything about 
this persecution, many scholars believe that the book was written no later than 60 AD. Why is it important? Because that's about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 30 years. And that'll be significant on why it's important for us that Luke wrote this book only 30 years after these major events, okay? Here's another thing that you need to know or some other thing you need to know about this book. First is that Book of Acts is part of a two-volume book, okay? There's a part one and a part two. Part one, actually, is the Gospel of Luke, which this author also wrote. Why is it important? Many times throughout this series, we're going to go to the book of Luke and look at some things in the book of Luke that give us context with the book of Acts. You cannot just read book of Acts and get the entirety of what Luke wants to convey without reading the book of Luke, okay? So this is a two-volume book, Luke Acts. Luke Acts, some, some, uh, some scholars have called it, okay? Uh, here's another thing you need to know about this book is that it chronicles the history of the early church. Anybody like history here? Anybody like history? You really like our sermon series then because essentially what we have in our hands is the history of the early church. Now, as any historian would, Luke doesn't include everything and anything that happened, but he includes things that's pertinent to him telling the history, telling the story of the early church. So he pick and chooses certain information that'll be more important than others, okay? Another thing that you need to know is that what he is writing is not fabricated stories that he just made up. This isn't fiction. I'll talk more about this next week. If you're not a Christian here this morning, or maybe you are a Christian and your faith is kind of at that point, like, uh, reading a book like this and seeing and hearing about all these incredible supernatural things, it causes a person to go, come on, did that really happen? Come on. We'll see next week that Luke makes it very careful to know that what he's writing is history, not fabricated stories that's just made up. And one last important thing is that Luke wasn't just a historian, but he was also a teacher. And so what Luke does in the introduction is he he reminds us that he's not just articulating history of the church, but the history of the, now watch this, history of the mission of the church. History of the mission of the early church. In other words, his point is not just to go and such and such a thing happened and such a thing happened and such a thing happened. His point is to go, that happened and here's why. That happened, and here's the importance of that. That happened, here's the significance of that. Luke uses real history to talk about the history of the mission of the church. A couple real quick introductory remarks. Why this sermon series? Oh, man. Well, that's going to be articulated, like, for the next two years. I hope for some of us, it's hard to kind of wrap our brains around, you know, two years, man, you got to stay on the same book for two years. Here's why we're doing this sermon series. Uh, we did a sermon series two years ago called Ecclesia, which is, which is a sermon series on the church. It was a very positive sermon series, got a lot of feedback from you guys, and it struck a chord. It struck a chord for two reasons. Number one, there is widespread disillusionment with the church. Can we just agree to that? I know, you're all good church Christians, you know, and so you're like, I love the church. Church is great for me. Well, here's what I hear. There are a lot of you sitting here this morning who are in this church after years of not being a part of a church, and when I ask you why, here's some things that you say. I was hurt by the church. I was hurt by that pastor. I was hurt by the Christian leader. I was hurt by, and people chronicle a number of things how the church, the local church, has is, is been really hurtful in their lives. And so as a result, disillusionment, and there's a lot of, a lot of frustration with the church. Some of y'all are sitting here this morning, and that's you. 
Let's just be honest. You know, we could put on the good Christian face and go, I love my church. But the reality is, truth be told, somebody said, be real honest. How do you feel about the church? You'd say, I don't want to go to church. And then I talked to non-Christians and, oh boy, man, if you want to open a can of worms, ask a non-Christian what they think about the church. <laughs> and interesting enough, here's what I heard in the midst of frustration. Do you guys know there's a lot of interest In spirituality, in spiritual things. I know some of that's kind of negative, and, but, but there's really, I've even heard people say, I'm actually interested in Jesus, but I don't have anything to do with the church. Flat out. Jesus, yes, but the church, no. Anybody? You can relate to that, right? There's, there's this, but, but they don't want to have anything to do with the church. Now, so I want to speak to both groups here and, and kind of tie it to the sermon series. If you're a Christian who's been hurt, abused by the church, or you just walked away from the church, you're coming back, and you're very wary even of new community church, you're wary of me, wary of our church folks, so on and so forth, I want to tell you something. The only way that's going to instill any sense of hope in just being a part of a church is going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about what the church is. We have to look at what did Jesus intend for the church. I know we have bad expressions of it, but we really have to go back and essentially place our confidence. What did Jesus intend for the church to be? And we need to be intentional about that. And that's what part of what we're going to do. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you why you can't say Jesus, yes, church, no. You ready? Because experience says that that's not, that's not possible. What are you talking about? It's real cool and popular in our culture these days to go, you know, I, I want to find God on my own. So I may even read the Bible. I may just kind of, you know, on my own kind of find God. But, but here's, here's the problem. If you want to be a Christian or interested in Christianity, one of the main questions you're always going to have is, is this thing true? Is Christianity true? I mean, th- th- is Jesus really who he said he was? Was he really the son of God and not some good moral teacher? Is the Bible really the word of God? You're going to want to know the plausibility or the credibility of the Christian faith. Is it really true? Now, let's be real honest here. Because more than arguments against the existence of God, more than arguments against the existence of truth, nothing creates doubts in people about the validity of Christianity more than Christians and the church. Nothing creates more doubts in people than Christians and the church. I'm being totally real with you guys. Talk to non-Christians. More than existence against arguments of God, existence against truth. What creates real doubts in people are questions like, if God is so good, why do Christians act the way they do? If Jesus was so amazing, why is the church the way it is? So if we're going to have to come to grips with the Christian faith and you want to know it's true, Uh, if you're not a Christian, you can't divorce Christianity, the church, and Jesus because the reality is what the church is, what Christians are, is intimately tied to whether you can believe the validity of the Christian faith. So you also need to know what did Jesus intend by the church? What did he intend for the church? And you can judge for yourself how much we resemble what Jesus intended and how much we don't, you know? Uh, a couple other things. So as, as, we, as we venture out, uh, hopefully all of us can be on the same page. Two big challenges for me as we venture out into the sermon series. Number one, if you're accustomed to coming to this church and listening to sermons, like you're sitting there right now and literally for the first 10 minutes of the sermon, you're going, oh, because you're going, 
This is what you think. You're going, I have these major needs in my life and I have these things going on and I, I, and I depend on the sermon to address those issues. So when you talk about dating, because that's a huge issue in my life, I'm here, I'm paying attention. And uh, or when you're talking about this, when you go through a book verse by verse, which is what we're going to do, hopefully that is encouraging to you. Right then, this, when we go to a book verse by verse, the reality is you're going to be here some Sundays and you got to be grown up, okay? Can I, can I just say that? You gotta be grown up, people. You can't, you can't just sit there and be so consumeristic. You're going, well, I have these enormous needs in my life and already in this sermon series, you're talking about the church and it has no relevance for me. Growth as a Christian comes when you learn about the whole counsel of God. Because if you're just floating from church to church listening to sermon series that just speak to you, you're always gonna be immature. So this is going to be kind of a paradigm shifting for some of us, you know, because we're going to be going, ah, because there's some Sundays. It may not directly address that issue, but the reality is when we go through this book, I guarantee you this, it'll cover anything and everything about the Christian faith that you need to know. And that's important. So I'm just saying, I'm going to ask you guys to grow up. (laughs) That's okay. Be grown up. I'm not belittling. I'm just saying grow up about how we perceive teaching, preaching, and the word. Okay? Secondly, like I said, we're going to go verse by verse. Hopefully some of you are excited about that, you know, because the reality is when we do that, it's just going to be a, a really rich time of, of scripture study, okay? So, you guys ready? All right, all right, okay, okay. Let's get into it. Verse 1, here we go. In my for- Put up scripture and open your Bibles and, and uh, follow along with me. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The purpose of Acts, what this book essentially is about, is revealed right here in verse 1. When Luke says what? He says, I wrote about all that. In my former book, he's referring to the book of Luke. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus, and I put it in capital. It, it doesn't look like that in your Bible. Uh, Accentuate began to do and to teach. Now watch this, you guys. And some of you have heard me say this before. If Luke is saying that my first book, the Gospel of Luke, I chronicled all that Jesus began to do, he is saying that the second book, book of Acts, is what Jesus continues to do. Got that? What's the purpose of Acts? He reveals it right here. Look, I wrote the first book, book of Luke, detailing what Jesus began to do. And the second book right here, I'm chronicling what Jesus continues to do and continues to teach through the Spirit after he was taken up. Now watch this. You guys, look up here. So the book of Acts is not about the church. And the book of Luke is about Jesus. Watch, pay, pay attention here, okay, because it's kind of... Both books are about who? About Jesus. Now watch. Yes, the book of Acts is about the church, But when you say the book of Acts is about church, book of Luke is about Jesus, then you're putting the cart before the horse and you lose the power of what this book is about. What do I mean? Luke says both books are about Jesus. They're both about Jesus. Book of Luke is about Jesus' ministry on earth personally and the book of Acts is about Jesus' ministry on earth from heaven through his representatives, you and me. Both books about Jesus. Why is that important? Oh. It's been said, a really famous pastor right here in Chicago said, the local church is the hope of the world. Anybody hear that? 
Okay. <laughs> a pastor said, local church is hope for the world. That has emotional appeal. And we go, yes, the local church is the hope of the world. I very respectfully disagree. The local church is not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Now you're going, what's the difference? Why? Because I, we all mean well. I wasn't going to share this, but let me, I need to go share it. We all mean well. I know what we were saying. We said the local church is the hope of the world. The reality of the local church is continuing the ministry of Jesus on earth, which means we are a visible, tangible expression of Jesus. We are the embodiment of Jesus. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth here on earth. But watch this. When you say the local church is the hope of the world and you erroneously translate that into the local church ministry is the hope of the world, we start making classes of spirituality. What do I mean? Churches that erroneously believe that local church is the hope of the world say things like, so the local church ministry, so children's ministry, youth ministry, what you do in the choir, the worship team, the Bible study leader, community group leader, those ministries are really, really important. What about the rest of us that don't serve in the local church? What about some of us business people? What about some of us engineers, nurses, students, janitors, teachers who are doing kingdom ministry out in the world every day of our lives? Does that make sense? See, I wasn't going to go there this morning, but I need to because here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and it's scary for me to say this as a pastor. Because it sounds like I'm denigrating local church ministry, which I'm not, because I'll get to that in a moment. But here's the thing, you guys. If our perspective is church ministry and everything within church ministry is is God-ordained and God-willed, and this is the most important part of ministry, and this is kingdom ministry, and we forget that every day of our lives, almost all of you are out there being kingdom representatives, doing kingdom work. And what you do is just as important, if not more important sometimes, than what we do in church. You are going to lose the missional call that's on your life. Does that make sense? As for some of you guys have grown up in church... And because you don't serve in church and do stuff in church, you never felt affirmed. You never felt validated. You never felt like, does what I do right there 40, 50 hours a week matter? I'm telling you this morning, it matters a lot to God. A lot to God. A lot to God. Do you know why? Because the kingdom of God is way bigger than the local church. Hello. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is present. And that means that what you do is hugely important. See, it's scary for me to say this as a pastor because the reality is I need some of y'all to help out with the local church ministry. We need you, you know? But here's why I need to make that distinction. You ready? Watch this. Because all of us have been given talents, abilities, opportunities, time, resources to do one of two things or both. Either we are advancing the kingdom out there with all of these things or we're helping equip and train people to be kingdom people out there. Does that make sense? So, so we are, all of us, at some point in our lives, either in the local church. This is why we do this. You got to know. We don't do this here. We don't do community groups throughout the week so that we could have meetings and, you know, feed you, whatever that means. I'll get to that in a minute. All those things. We do all of this for one reason. is to better equip you, better train you to be kingdom people wherever you are. And in order for us to do that, you see, Laura's sitting here and she's nodding her head. Why? Laura works as a manager at Starbucks and oversees lots of employees. 
She has access to people I never will. There are people that she'll come across, hundreds, thousands of people, they will never hear a sermon. What she does, I'm telling you right now, is just as important, if not more important, than what I do. Are you guys hearing me? See, major transition. Unless, see, unless that transition takes place in your mind, in your head, paradigm shift, your perspective on what the church is, oh, it's going to be way off. And you're going to be disillusioned. Yes, we need community group leaders. Why? To lead better Bible studies so people can come to community groups and go, oh, I learned a lot. No! We need better community group leaders because within community, they're preparing you. They're equipping you. They're training you to be missional. Why do we have worship teams? So you can come and say, great music. That really connected to me. That really blessed me. I really felt fed spiritually. Oh, I can't wait till next week. No! They do this so that you can encounter God and take that encounter with God in here and take that encounter with God without there. Parents, moms, stay home all day. You're thinking, I'm so useless. What am I doing? You're raising kingdom children every day of your life. You're raising kingdom children every day of your life. Oh, Lord. See, okay, okay, okay. If you're a Christian, you're doing one of two things always. I'm telling you, and you need to check yourself this morning. Because if you're a Christian, you're saying, my 40, 50 hours as a social worker, as a nurse, as a nanny, as a mom, as whatever. Moms actually give more than 40, 50 hours a week. I'm sorry. It's just more like 120 hours. Every day of your life, you're saying, I am raising, I am equipping, I am training kingdom people in my sphere of influence so they can be witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. That's my call. That's my job. That's my ministry. You're doing that every day. Or... You're saying, how can we better equip them to do that? And the local church comes around and says, everything that we do around here is to help better equip you and train you. That's what we need to get excited about. That's what we need to get excited about. Jesus, uh, Luke lays out for us the, 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 the church and the reason for its being right here in verse 1. It doesn't exist to proclaim itself as the hope of the world. It exists to proclaim Jesus as the hope of the world. How do we do that, though? He says, by continuing the ministry, continuing the ministry of ascended Jesus. You guys, listen right here. Look up. The, verse 1 tells us the, the, the identity and mission of the church, who we are, what we do. Simply put, we are to be the personality of Jesus to the world around us and to fulfill the purpose of and the mission of Jesus to the world around us. You and I have an identity. We have an identity as a church and a mission as a church. We don't get together to sing songs. We don't get together to listen to sermons. We don't get together in community groups so that we could have good social times. We get together. We do all of this for the purpose of reminding ourselves we have an identity. We have a mission. The identity is to be the personality of Jesus individually and corporately. What do I mean? Our call as church, the church, is so that when people get up nice and close to us, they should be able to go, what was Jesus like? What was he like? And they should be able to see that in us and see that in our life together. We are to reflect the very personality, who Jesus was. People need to see that in us individually and our lives corporately together. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? We also have a purpose or a mission to do. 
Not only are we reflect the personality of Jesus to the world around us, but our purpose is to continue to do the works of Jesus, continue to do the ministry of Jesus in such a way that it's as if he is physically here on earth. Yeah, that includes teaching, preaching, but it also includes ministering to the poor, dealing and fighting with injustice. It also means compassion. It also means mercy. Everything and anything that we see Jesus doing throughout the Gospels, everything that we see Jesus doing throughout the Gospels, the watching world needs to see that in you and me individually and you and me corporately together. We have a mission. We have an identity. We don't just get together to have meetings. Hello? We don't just get together because we like each other and we like fellowship. We like whatever fellowship is in our own little minds. We get together to fulfill an identity and a purpose for why we exist. By the way, you're going, is that a new idea? No, it's a really, really old, old, old idea. You're going, how old? Like Exodus 19 old. <laughs> What do I mean? Watch this, Exodus 19. You have to turn your Bibles in Exodus 19. The people of God, Israelites, have been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. They are now at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God is about to give them, communicate to them their identity and their mission. This idea of church is not new, people. It's old. Look at this. Verse 3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me. Watch this. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God doesn't call the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt so they can get around and talk endlessly about, isn't it great to be a Christian? Isn't it great to be redeemed? Isn't it great to be saved? God calls them to do what? He says you have an identity. That is, you, have, you are a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? A priest mediates the divine. What does it mean? A priest shows people what the God that that priest worships is like. And Jesus is saying, you are a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? That means that you're not better than other people, more spiritual. That means that you are the message to the world of what I am like. Hello? You and I are message to this watching world of what Jesus is like, what this God is like, who's rescued us, who has redeemed us, who has blessed us, who has loved us, who has saved us. God is saying, I'm looking for a body, a tangible body to be my hands and to be my feet, to showcase to the world who I am and what I'm like. <laughs> The church doesn't exist for you. The church doesn't exist for you. See, I'm so nervous about saying this because, you know, I, I have been influenced by our culture, consumerism. So I'm going, I want more people to come. I want more people to be here. Let me say this once more. This church doesn't exist for you. You are the church existing for the world. You're the church. 
You are the church existing for the world. The church doesn't exist for you. We don't exist to feed you. I know you talk amongst your friends, like, where do you go to get spiritually fed? Americans, 60% of America is overweight or obese. I wonder if that's also the case with our spirituality. Get this paradigm shift. The church doesn't exist for you. For me, what do I get out of it? What can I? You are the church and you exist for the world. We don't measure success in this church by how many people come on Sundays. We measure success by how many people are on mission. We don't measure success in this church by what's the size of our budget, how big is our building campaign. We measure success by how many people are on budget. And watch this. We don't measure success in this church by how many people, missionaries, do we support. We measure success by is all the church on mission. That's how we measure success. So I don't want to offend. But if you're here this morning and you've been coming to our church because you're being spiritually fed Again, whatever that means, I, I have no idea what that means. I, I don't even know when some people go, yeah, I come here because, you know, you're preaching, teaching. It feeds me. I'm going, what's it mean? It feeds you. That's an important reason, but you cannot come for that reason alone. You cannot come because the worship feeds you. You can continue to come And realize and learn what it means to be a Christian and be a part of a church. But you have to understand this paradigm shift. We don't exist for you. You are the church existing for the world. Amen? You guys, do you know how radically different the landscape of church in America would look if we believe this? Okay. So if you're sitting there right now and you're feeling a little disgusted. (laughs) Maybe you're feeling a little frustrated, a little angst in here because you're going... That's so foreign to me, man. I can't even relate to that, dude. My whole perspective of the church is that's where I went because that's where I grew spiritually. That's where I heard the sermon, sang the songs. That's why I, you know, helped out in ministry, so on and so forth. Listen, paradigm shift. We don't go to church. You are the church. So can we cut that out of our language? If somebody says, check, we check people in our church. If somebody goes, are you going to church today? Don't do it in the snooty way, but go, you mean we are the church and we're going to go to a building on Logan Boulevard? That's, you know. <laughs> and then they'll hit you and go, shut up. And then you'll go, but you knew what I meant. You guys, we are the church. Everybody say this with me. We don't go to church. Say it one more time. We don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. And man, I tell you, this sermon series will rock some of your world for whom that is like, what? Like, my life out there matters? Like, church, it's not here to just feed and pour into me, but it's here so that I can be equipped to be better. Yeah, yeah. Kingdom of priests, holy nation. You are the message. And the question is, what is the message according to you from your roommate? What is the message of Jesus according to you, to your coworkers? And some of us are going, man, I need to go, like, apologize to my coworkers. <laughs> what is the message according to you, to your husband, to your wife, to your children? 
Why is this sermon series entitled Church Without Walls? It's a completely biblical idea, you guys. Completely biblical idea. A church doesn't have walls. A church, biblically speaking, isn't a building. A church is this radical, dynamic movement of people of God. The early churches, we'll see, understood this, that they were the church. They don't go to church. They were the church individually and together. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they understood that everything that they do in life matters. Everything they do in life matters. Everything they do in life matters. Our mission is not just to gather on Sundays and have a great time or gather in small... Hello, can I just... Okay. A lot of people will not go to small groups because here are the reasons I've heard. I don't really get along with the people. Basically what they're saying, it's about me. Small group, oh, you know, it's not as helpful as I'd like it to be. Bottom line, say it with me, it's about me. Well, you know, the small group leader, I mean, what they teach, oh, you know, it's like, I know better. I can do, bottom line, it's about when will our church get to a place where we have gone through this radical paradigm shift in such a way that everything that we do in this church, we approach it from the person. Can you imagine what our church would be like if you walked through those doors and the first thought that went through your mind wasn't, I'm lonely, I need somebody to notice me, I need somebody to like approach me, I need somebody to like hang with me. What if every single one of us, as soon as we opened those doors and walked in, the first thought that went through my, our minds is, I wonder who's lonely. I wonder who needs a relationship. I wonder who needs accountability. I wonder who would benefit from me befriending. Do you know what our church would be like? Oh, man. We wouldn't be able to contain all of Chicago. Because broken, messed up people in Chicago would say, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. See how far we have to go? See how far we have to go, you guys. You know, can I just, uh, within a minute or so, share this? I'm scared to death. I'm telling you, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that because when we initially started this church, not that we were perfect, but we were this missional body where we got together in small groups. Andrea's like, yes, we were. We were this small body people and we did life together. Do you know, we hung out for like four hours in Bible study. We ate dinner together. We fellowshiped together. And we just, I mean, we knew everything that's going on in people's lives. We're carrying each other's burdens, praying for people. Some of you are still stuck on like, you hung out for four hours together? Come back. Anyway, so we did all that. Now, if you guys are thinking, listen, if, you, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, what, a, what an in, you know, in, invert, like, like it's about me. You guys were probably like this tight-knit, like exclusive people. Do you know what? It was radically the opposite. This group of people who were in this community together and came with this perspective, I am a missionary right here. And I'm here to minister. I, I'm here for the church. I, I am the church. You know what that did when we did that? It propelled people outward in such a way that the first year, year and a half of our church, people couldn't stop talking about what God was doing in their lives. And anybody and everybody, literally, people were walking off the streets and coming in and joining us. I am scared to death that our church is becoming this Sunday event where people come because they think it's cool. That scares me to death. I'm scared to death that there are people coming to this church Sunday after Sunday with zero intention and zero desire to ask the question of, I am the church. What can I give? What can I do? Real quickly, 
For those of you that are saying, I'm burned from church, I'm fried from church, I've been hurt from church, Peter, I just need time, just space, just to, just to get to know God better. Hey, you don't have to do any, you can come and you can sit, you can be healed, you can be restored, you can grow, and we'll leave you alone. But at some point, at some point, amen? All right. Well, I'll, I'll, so half a verse took 40 minutes, so... Okay, verse one. Oh, no, we're not going yet. Verse one. We're still on verse one. Okay. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. I find this very interesting. To prepare the disciples for mission, Jesus takes them on this 40-day intensive discipleship course Wouldn't that have been amazing? Can you imagine going through a 40-day discipleship course with Jesus as your teacher? (laughs) And he did two things. It says he repeatedly showed them that he was alive. In other words, he made sure that they knew that the resurrection was true. The resurrection of Jesus will be a focal theme throughout the book of Acts. So right here in the beginning, we see Jesus saying, y'all, you you see, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. I have risen from the dead. I have risen from the dead, 40 days. Second thing the Bible says is that he, uh, 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 I'm sorry. I just skipped like three verses. Wow. See, this is something new for me. So come back. Forget everything that I said. Let's start over. So 40 days is that training course, right? And one of the major themes of the book is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church. The Holy Spirit will play a critical role in the mission of the early church as we'll see the Holy Spirit empowering people for mission. But watch this. Fans of the Holy Spirit, anybody like the Holy Spirit? Anybody like the Holy Spirit? Okay. That's all the charismatic people in our church. <laughs> What? Look, you guys, look at this. Verse 2. Until he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Watch this. Before Jesus sends them the power, he teaches them. Before Jesus sends the Spirit, he prepares their minds. Why is that important? There's been two eras, I think, within the church. The reformed doctrine people and the larger Christendom here in America have said, it's about doctrine. You got to teach right doctrine. It's about right theology. People get the right theology. Error. The charismatic folks, on the other hand, said, all we need is just more of the Spirit. Some of y'all been thinking that in our church. You're sitting there going, why don't we talk about the Holy Spirit? We just need more of the Holy Spirit. Julio. <laughs> Julio and I had this conversation in Colombia. You know, we're eating mondongo, which is cow intestines, but it's another story. Anyway, we're sitting there eating, and Julio, who, who grew up in Colombia and is done ministry in Colombia, says to me, he's like, how do I want to talk more about the Holy Spirit? And as we talked about the Holy Spirit, he began to realize, and I began to realize, watch this, that many of us have an erroneous view of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? Listen, watch this. Holy Spirit, watch it, watch it, watch it. Holy Spirit. The reason why Jesus prepares their minds before he sends them the Spirit is that the Bible doesn't sort of put opposite or contrast, you know, learning against power or spirit against truth. The Bible says both need to come together. Watch this, watch this, watch. Because here's how spiritual power comes, ready? For many of us, we think the Holy Spirit, spiritual power comes by getting zapped. 
I'm serious. I'm serious. Not the whole, you know, you seem like the charismatic. I don't want to make fun, but I will make fun. So like you see in television, you know, you see in television people coming and the evangelist has his coat off and he's just waving his coat, you know, and people are falling you know, in the spirit and they're laying. And people think that receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is this happening. thing. Well, when you look at the Bible, it is so different though. You don't receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered for ministry by sitting there going, send me the Holy Spirit, send me the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes. That's not how the Holy Spirit comes. Watch this. Look, look, look. This is very important. Now, I've been to many parts of the world and I've been in moments where undeniably there is an element in which the Holy Spirit kind of comes upon you and it's, it's sort of like a zapping. Like I don't do anything. I just pray and say, Lord, I need strength to preach. And he fills me and I preach better. Sometimes I go, God, I have, I'm out of words. I can't say the right things. And I say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. And the Holy Spirit comes and I speak the right. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about, right? We speak the right words. There's a way in which mysteriously, a way we can't explain, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Trinity, just comes and, 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 and works through us. But the primary ownership of the Holy Spirit isn't empowering you for ministry or convicting us of righteousness and sin, which the Bible says. Or enabling us to live the Christian life, which the Bible says the primary of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. You guys, you need to get this. For those of you charismatics, as well as those of you reformed like the Holy Spirit, as my wife says, the Holy Ghost, HG. I'm a little afraid of the HG of this ongoing joke, you know. She goes, was that the HG? Yeah, that was HG. I'm a little afraid of the HG. Some of us are like, oh. But the Bible takes the, the right out of the Holy Spirit. Now, you guys, I need to spend some time talking about this, and I may actually have to just end on, end on this, this thing about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will appear like every other verse of the book of Acts. So you need to understand how this works. Ready? Okay, watch. The Bible says that Holy Spirit's primary ministry is to glorify Jesus, and you're going, come on, that ain't true. Listen to Jesus' own words. Watch. Jesus' own words. And in John 16, he's talking about the introduction of the Holy Spirit as he ascends, right? He says, but when he... The spirit of what? Truth. Of all the things that he could have said, he says he is the spirit of truth. Not spirit of power, spirit of miraculous, spirit of truth. Why? He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit doesn't have a mind of his own. He's not off out there doing his own thing. What does he do? He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is so... So in communion, harmony with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit essentially fulfills the ministry, the wishes, desires of who? Of Jesus. Now watch. Next verse. He will bring what? Say it with me. Glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The Holy Spirit. Again, you guys, everybody. Like non-charismatic, the Holy Spirit, the whole conversation freaks me out a little bit. There's nothing to be freaked out about it. Why? Because Jesus, do you love Jesus? Do you, do you like Jesus? Okay, so the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. We all get on board with Jesus, right? His job is to glorify Jesus. And what does that mean? Glorify is a big theological, uh, glorify. Here's what glorify means. The Holy Spirit's job is to make alive in your heart. Make alive in your heart. Come alive in your heart, in your soul. Electrify, come alive who Jesus is and what he has done. The gospel. The primary job of the Holy Spirit is not come fill me. Woo, I've been blessed to have the preaching ministry. The Holy Spirit's ministry. Well, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is he comes along and he says, 
Jesus. 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 The Holy Spirit comes along and says, this is what he's done. This is truth. You go, come on. That's one isolated incident. Jesus, right? Apostle Paul's theology on the Holy Spirit. You ready? Watch this. Ephesians chapter 1. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of what? Wisdom. Not spirit of power. Spirit of supernatural wonder, power, okay? Spirit of wisdom and what? Revelation, truth, knowledge. So that you may what? Know him better. What's the prime minister of the Holy Spirit? Do you to know Jesus? Okay, next, next verse. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's saying, I want you to know something. I want you to see something. What is that? The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the saints, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. He's saying, this is how you know his hope. This is how you know his power. You get to know Jesus. Not about being zapped. Next, one more passage. Same book. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. So which many of us going, aha, zapped, power, I knew it. No, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. There is that name again. God, for crying out, Jesus. <laughs> and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Next verse. May have power, aha, power, no, together with all the saints to what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Over and over again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's role is what? Not to zap you, not to powerfully fill you. The primary role is the Holy Spirit is to help you see Jesus, help you know Jesus, help you get to uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, you guys, if you've been paying attention, you're sitting there going, but why did Paul need to write that? I mean, didn't the Ephesians know this already? Didn't they know about the deep love of God? Didn't they know about how awesome he is? Didn't they know about who Jesus is? They must have been weak Christians. Majority of us in here do not know the depth of his love. the width and the height of who Jesus is and what he has done. We don't. Let me speak plainly. How different would your life really look if you believed that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and reigns today as Lord? How different would your life look, really look today, if you really believed that Jesus is sovereign? Would you be so weak? That he is in control. Would you be so worried? Would you lose sleep over the financial market? God forbid all these major companies are going out, da, 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 and it's going to affect the economy. And we're sitting there going, and God is up there going, hello, sovereign, still in control. Let me put it this way. How different would your life and my life look if we really believe that that's how much Jesus Christ loves us? Would you be so insecure 
Would you be so depressed? Would you be in that dysfunctional relationship that makes you feel better about yourself? If you're sitting there going, Peter, man, every time, every Sunday, man, you're always talking about the cross and who Jesus is. And I'm sitting there going, ah, I want to believe it. I want to believe it. I want it to be true. Because I know that that's everything that ails me. I want it to be true and I still want it to be. But I don't have the faith to do it. I don't have the willpower to do it. I don't have even the willingness to do it. Precisely. That's the ministry of who? The Holy Spirit. Hello. Light bulb. If you're sitting there going, that's why I'm so weak. Because I want to believe all the things that Paul prays about. Oh, by the way, by the way, it's total Thai tangential note. Tangential, tangential, tangential note. If, you, if you're confused about how to pray for people in a way that affects their lives, just copy those two verses and just say their names and just pray those passages over and over and over. And their lives will change. Listen. We're sitting there going, I want it to be true. I still want it to be true. But I don't have the willings. I don't have the faith. I don't know if I can believe it. The Bible says the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says, we know you can't do it. We know you're going to struggle. We know that Peter's going to get up there and preach every Sunday on this. And you're going to walk out and go, I so wish it was true. There was one time when I kind of believed it. I so... The Holy Spirit comes to you and enables you to do what you cannot do on your own. Amen. That's the job. So, no, not the Holy Spirit. Take that out. The primary job of the Holy Spirit, for those of you that are sitting there going, my life will look radically different, but I don't think I have the power to believe, the ability to believe. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, he exists to come alongside of you and goes, I'm going to enable what you can't. Does anybody need the Holy Spirit? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Does anybody need the Holy Spirit this morning? (laughs) You guys, you guys, for those of you for weeks and months, you've been going, my Christian life is in this rut. I can't get out of it. There are these major things going on in my life, and I know in my head God's love for me. I know in my head God's grace for me. I know in my head all these things, but I just can't. The Holy Spirit breathing exercise. We have a breathing exercise in our church. Anybody remember the breathing exercise? Oh, it's time to call it back. The breathing exercise in the church, acknowledging the Holy Spirit is this. You breathe in. Oh, I can't. I can't. And you breathe out. But you can. And what I trained our church for the first four years was when you come against a temptation, when you come up against a struggle, when you come up against a person you can't love, when you come up against these major things before just launching into it or before being depressed you can't handle it, you immediately go to the place of... But you can. Holy Spirit, I can't. But you can. But you can. Here's what I want to do this morning. (laughs) For crying out loud, I covered two verses today, okay? Uh, Were they helpful, two verses? Okay. That that was was like, I was looking for a cheap applause. I'm sorry, okay. Um, (laughs) I wanted to validate myself, see? So I need to pray the gospel into my life. Lord, I don't need their validation. I'm kind of joking, but listen, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Oh, here's what I'm going to do, you guys. Watch. What I want to do is this. What I want to do is real quick, real quick. Uh, what I want to do is, 
as we kind of end today, I want to give you just real quick, real quick, and, and I promise I'll be real quick, real quick application kinds of things as we end today because we're going to see the Holy Spirit so many times throughout the sermon series. And yes, the Holy Spirit will empower. Yes, the Holy Spirit will supernaturally fill. Yes, the Holy Spirit will enable people to speak in tongues. All these incredible things. But you need to get the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to what? To glorify Jesus. Okay, watch. So here's what I want. One, Practical application. Give the Holy Spirit some firewood to work with. What do I mean? If the Holy Spirit is fire, truth is the firewood. Without both firewood, truth, and the fire, spirit, there's no fire. Give the Holy Spirit some firewood. What do I mean? How often do you meditate on truth? And here's what I mean by that. I need to train you. You know what I hate? You know what I hate? Those Bibles in the back that have these sections on topics when you're struggling topics to go to when you're struggling. I just want to get every single Bible that has and just rip it out. Here's the reason why. It reinforces the mentality of reading the Bible sort of a la carte. I'm struggling with this. So what does the Bible practically say? Do you know what? The, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And the extent to which you and I can see Jesus in the whole Bible is the extent to which we will see life transformation. When's the last time you just sat and meditated on the cross? When's the last time you sat and meditated on the cross and what happened there, what that meant, and what it means for you now? Well, I read those, you know, topical, like when I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm having financial trouble. When's the last time you sat and med- When's the last time you sat and meditated on the resurrection of Jesus? Do you see what I'm getting at, you guys? Giving the Holy Spirit firewood is meditating on truth of who Jesus is and what he has done the gospel. Secondly, Learn to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Well, what do I mean by that? The, the Holy Spirit comes, not just, you know, zap. And just, Holy Spirit comes when you learn every day of your life. Here's what I do. Can I, can I just, I, here's what I do. When I get up in the morning and if Parker isn't jumping on the bed, you know, and jumping on my back and all this stuff, here's what I do. Because when he does that, you know, I take time out with the Holy Spirit, kind of do my thing, you know. But, but when he does, I, I literally, before I get out of bed, I lay in bed and I say this. I preach the gospel. I go, Lord, God. My identity is not found in my job as a pastor. My identity is not found in what they think. By your death and resurrection, the Bible says I have died to sin. Sin doesn't have mastery over me any longer. When I struggle with guilt, the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. That is what you have done. Holy Spirit of God, take these truths and make them alive. Take these truths and melt my heart. Take these truths and electrify my heart. And I say this to myself. I preach this to myself literally all day, every day. Every day, all day, every day. I say, some of you guys, you see me, I might be in my car, I'm, and I'm just believing my mouth. I'm serious. Sometimes when I'm in an appointment, in an appointment with somebody, I will pray that to myself because the temptation is to go, God, I want them to like me. I want them to think I'm a great pastor. And I need to preach that to go, Lord, I don't want to do this for my sake. I want to do it for their sake. And the only thing that will do that is to find all the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Third, appropriate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. What do I mean? When's the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit that he would come alive in you, may come alive in you, who Jesus is and what he has done? I, I, I'm not talking about when's the last time you prayed, Lord, give me strength to love my husband. Lord, give me strength to be able to do this. No, no I'm talking about when's the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you exist to glorify Jesus. You exist to make the Holy Spirit come alive in me. I want you to come alive in me. The life, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Here's what will happen. My, my wife and I moved homes two weeks ago, and uh, our, our realtor who helped us buy the new home was nice enough to give us as a gift an HCTV. 
Hard definition TV. You don't know what that is? I, I didn't know what that was. I'm serious. For a while, I'm like, HGTV, what is that? HGTV, oh man, that's a nice machine. That's a nice machine. I'm sorry. It's like my flesh coming out, but Lord, I just stare at that and go, this is really nice. It reminded me of an illustration I use all the time. Change will not come in our hearts if nasty things our parents said, if the failures of our past lives, if our insecurities, if those things resonate with our hearts as if it's HD video definition, but the truth and the remembrance of who God is and what he has done is barely getting through on cassette audio. (laughs) That's you and me. Life and transformation will come when truth of who Jesus is and truth of what he has done comes at you like a stinking 59-inch hard-definition video that grabs you, electrifies you, and what Satan says, what your parents said to you, what the failure does, and what Satan tries to do is barely getting through an audio cassette because the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart glorifying Jesus. Bow your hands with me. This morning's prayer is so important. This time, this time is so important. Because there are so many of you sitting here for whom the gospel of Jesus, who he is and what he has done for you is barely getting through on cassette audio. Not because you don't know it in your head, but because it hasn't come alive. It hasn't electrified. It hasn't grabbed the hold of who you are. And our failures and our weaknesses and our insecurities, it's just, I mean, right there, it's blaring at us. The great news, you guys, this morning is that the Holy Spirit, who already lives inside of you, exists to glorify Jesus, exists to bring alive, exists to electrify, it exists to make real, exists to change. And you don't even need to beg. He is so willing. Holy Spirit is so willing, so ready. And all he's asking you, me this morning, is just ask. Just ask. Just as Paul prayed for the the church in Ephesus, he's saying, ask me. Ask. Ask me. So church, I want to ask you this morning, before we come up and take communion, Some of you, what you need to pray is, God, I've done the communion thing thousands of times in my life and it's never become real. It's never become real. The truth of the death of Jesus, the brokenness of his body and the spilling of his blood, that's never become real, spiritually real to my heart. Today when I do it, God, I need you, Holy Spirit, to make it real. Make it real. Ask the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus in your heart, in your soul. Think of how strong you would be. Think of how strong you would be. Think of how strong you would be.
I'll give you a moment to pray. Communion servers, will you guys come on up, please, and take your spots? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God. And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance. Remember, remember me. Remember me. And you're praying as you come, Holy Spirit, help me to remember. Help me to remember. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that has been shed for you so that you don't come to God now based on sacrifices of animals that will forgive for a time only to repeat that sacrifice over again. But the shedding of the blood of the Son of God brings about forgiveness once and for all and cleanses you from inside out. So as you dip the bread into the cup, remember me, remember me, remember what it cost me to bring you, bring you into the kingdom, to bring you into the kingdom. I want to encourage you, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, come forward. And again, guys, as you look at the cross and take the elements, pray to the Holy Spirit. The Lord invites you. Come forward. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. God, hallelujah. 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 Father, allow the truth that we just sang about. Holy Spirit of God, allow the truth that we just sang about about you and your omnipotence and your sovereignty and your goodness and you being wonderful, beautiful, amazing, marvelous. Holy Spirit, take those truths and will you electrify, will you melt our hearts, will you begin to work in our hearts in such a way that they will become real, true. Spirit of God, I send these missionaries out to live bold, courageous lives willing to sacrifice it all for the sake of your kingdom. May the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God and the grace of Jesus, 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 Jesus be with you both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Here we are. We're launching this journey. I promise we'll get to more than two verses next week. Please sign up for the dividers getting here this week, okay? If you have flexible schedule, we will really love it. Have a great week, you guys, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.